0: Welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Well, it's Wednesday, March 30th, 2021, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. We are grateful to end this month of March with just another great podcast, a podcast that was airing on August 14th, 2019. And this podcast was from the lead pastor uh, of Coral Gables Presbyterian Church uh, in South Florida, and a dear friend and brother, a guy that I've known. Uh, We went to Sanford University together, Rob Pacienza. And Rob and his sweet wife, uh, actually lost their daughter uh, tragically and uh, he and his daughter his wife have just done such a great job dealing with their own grief but also Rob and Jen have been able while they were grieving to lead the church of Coral Ridge Presbyterian through probably one of the darkest moments of their history and so I love just the way that the Lord has used Rob in helping grieve with others, helping others grieve and know that it's okay to grieve, while also leading through the grief and the rubble of what life sometimes brings. And so I know for all of us, whether it's adoption grief or or foster grief or just life grief in general, I know this is such a pertinent topic and you're going to really enjoy hearing from Rob Pacienza. But before we do, I want to welcome again our Charisma Podcast listening audience. Thank you for joining us. And we hope that you will continue to join us even on into April when we actually have a new uh, co-host, Dr. Rick, who will be joining us. And Dr. Rick and I will get to discuss different opportunities to help equip you to defend the fatherless, to defend the vulnerable, and defend the, the vulnerable child, the vulnerable family, and the vulnerable woman who's in your sphere of influence And for all of those who've been faithful listeners to Defender Bible Study, I know that you will be excited to have Dr. Rick here with us on a weekly basis. But before we get to hear from uh, Pastor Rob Pacienza, I want to remind you about another podcast that we have, the Defender Bible Study. It's another free weekly resource podcast for you. It's led by one of our Lifeline staff members, and it features an in-depth study, either of a portion of scripture or a book uh, or a devotional. And so we uh, right now are actually going to the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so if you want to actually back up a couple of weeks, you can join us through our whole study of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And if you want to back up even further than that, we actually took 14 weeks to go through our statement of faith and who we are as a ministry and who we are as a people that are gathering together uh, for the Lord. So join us for the Defender Bible Study. It's fresh and new every monday morning and we not only lead in the word but we end every defender bible study with prayer praying for uh, orphans and vulnerable children and vulnerable families around the world so see our show notes and listen wherever you find your podcast well today i am thrilled to have rob pacienza on the defender podcast and rob and i uh, both went to sanford university in birmingham alabama And Rob is now the pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, just an adventure that has brought him to this church, he and Jen, our precious believers who love the Lord and love His Word. And so just grateful for them, their friendship over the years. I know Jen and my wife Ashley uh, were close and their time at Sanford. And just grateful for the way that they lead out this church. Uh, Rob and Jen are blessed. Uh, they have had three children. Uh, and one of the things we even want to just talk about is one of their children, their youngest daughter, actually did pass away a little over a year ago. And so Rob and Jen had just really handled this grief in a very gospel-oriented way. And so I know a lot of our families and a lot of our listeners have dealt with grief and suffering. And so I just thought there wouldn't be any better person than Rob Pacienza, a man that loves the word, that loves the gospel, that preaches and leads to be able to help us through the through the messy and through the hard of the difficulty of dealing with tragedy. So Rob, welcome to The Defender Podcast.
1: Hey, Herbie. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Well, I want to just first tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and, and then just pasturing where you do at Coral Ridge.
1: Yeah, so I had the privilege of marrying my high school sweetheart, Jen, as you mentioned, who uh, we all met uh, the, together at Samford, uh, connected with uh, Herbie and his wife, Ashley, as uh, Herbie mentioned, uh, but uh, grew up uh, at, down here in South Florida, met my uh, wife, uh, in freshman year of high school. Uh, So we grew up here in South Florida, went to Coral Ridge, went to uh, the high school that is attached to our church, Westminster Academy, and uh, both went to Samford University together in Birmingham. Uh, We graduated Samford in 03, moved back to South Florida, went to another church here locally, another um, uh, church that is affiliated uh, in our same denomination and served there in youth ministry together for seven years before God called us home to Coral Ridge. Uh, As you mentioned, we have three children. One is waiting for us in heaven, uh, Lillianne, and uh, our other two children, Lydia, who is six, and Preston, who is eight years old.
0: Well, I know, I mean, even before we get into uh, just... Even some of the counsel you would give families—they're going through hardships and suffering and and tragedy—you know—you have—it's kind of a neat story that brought you back to Coral Ridge. You became a believer through the ministries of Coral Ridge, and uh, you went back to be the past, to, to be a on the youth team, the student ministry team, and now you're the pastor. Talk about just what it's like now to be at this church that has such a prominent standing both in evangelicalism, but especially in the Presbyterian Church of America?
1: Certainly, yeah. So I was a um, middle school student coming in into a new church I was not a believer at the time. neighbors of mine invited me to a youth ministry event at Coleridge uh, in between my eighth grade and ninth grade year. Um, it was the first time I heard the gospel. I heard good news that uh, regardless of who I was or what I had had done that uh, Christ uh, was um, uh, the one who laid down his life for me and uh, could give me a new life and it, it changed my life forever. And uh, so, yeah, I I joined Coral Ridge that next year, started attending our school, Westminster Academy, and uh, little did I know 20 years later that God would uh, call me to pastor uh, this church that has been used not only all over the world, but here locally to raise up. Uh, so many of uh, my other friends and colleagues that are now doing ministry all around the world. So, I mean, it had an incredible impact, yes, internationally, um, but it had an incredible impact with raising up the next generation of uh, gospel-centered leaders right here in Fort Lauderdale that are doing some amazing work here in the community and and all across the country. But it is truly a privilege to... uh, for both my wife and I to give back to a place that was so formative to our lives, Um, our calling, our marriage, our ministry, our personal um, uh, relationship with Jesus Christ, all formed right here through the ministry of Coral Ridge.
0: Yeah, and so obviously everyone has been impacted in some way, even if they don't know it, by Coral Ridge through Dr. Kennedy and his ministry and uh, I know that uh, even a couple of months ago, we were at the Presbyterian Church of America uh, General Assembly, and I got to hear Dr. Al Mohler, who is a Southern Baptist uh, president of Southern Seminary, and he was even talking about the impact as a young boy of Dr. Kennedy's ministry in Coral Ridge on him. And so uh, I just—I'll be honest—I I, can't—I can't think of a more fitting couple that the Lord would choose to put there. But even as you were being installed as the pastor, little did you know that 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 suffering was was creeping at your door. And I know so many of the families that that come into adoption and foster care come into it with this expectation. It's a it's a change. It's a uh, it's a calling on their life. And then many times, unfortunately, tragedy is really snooping at the door. So talk about just, if you don't mind, how you and Jen have ultimately dealt with this tragedy while keeping a gospel perspective. Well, little did
1: I know, I mean, Coral Ridge went through a very, and I won't get into the details, but a very hard decade following the death of our founder, uh, D. James Kennedy. And so I honestly thought the greatest challenge of my life would be transitioning uh, to its you know, into the role as the third senior pastor of Coral Ridge, and I thought the next months and years ahead would uh, be the greatest challenge for me, for my calling, for our family, and as you said, little did I know, a year into being called and installed as the senior pastor, we tragically lost our three-year-old daughter. Uh, We put her down uh, to sleep on a Saturday night. Um, uh, we went in to check on her before we went to bed and, uh, she was not moving. And, uh, there was that overwhelming, uh, sense of fear and confusion and, uh, just knowing something was wrong and, uh, just, a. An hour later, she was uh, pronounced dead, and it absolutely rocked our world, uh, continues to rock our world and the the lives of our children, who at the time were five and seven, and what we often underestimate as parents is how impressionable our children are. Um, They are, and from the the beginning, uh, even when they were five and seven, when this tragedy you know, first happened. Um, they, they were asking questions about death and dying, about heaven, about um, the future hope, um, about suffering and what happens when you die and uh, how Jesus is truly the only answer. So we um, would have never uh, wished this on ourselves, um, but the conversations we are having and continue to have as a family, um, I've just been so powerful and so redemptive, and um, I just thank God every day that he is using uh, a parent's worst nightmare, and it is, um, uh, to do something uh, very beautiful in our home. Um, I mean, this has has radically uh, changed my pastorate. Um, This has changed the way I counsel. This has changed the way I preach. Uh, there is not a Sunday that goes by that there is not a hymn, a song, a p- moment in the service where I do not get emotional, and it's been interesting to see the the congregation um, be discipled and pastored through our grief. Mm. If that makes sense, yeah. it is the it is it has been the greatest discipleship tool um, for our family, but also for our congregation because there is a rawness and a vulnerability. Uh, that cannot be manufactured, It cannot be learned in seminary, cannot be learned through a book. And um, so uh, this has not only been something that our family is walking through, but our congregation continues to walk through as well. But um, it has absolutely changed everything inside of our home and inside the life of our church.
0: And I know that, uh, I know even for our family, when we heard of the news We instantly started praying for you guys with our children and uh, ended up seeing each other at Sanford Homecoming unexpectedly just a few days (laughs) later. And, uh, you know, our kids were even touched. And I don't know if I've told you that by that moment, uh, because they had been so intimately praying for your family and didn't even know who you were. Uh, And so just also take encouragement, brother, that so many people are praying for your family that you don't even know. Um, Because they've heard that story and and they've been touched through that. Uh, And and I know that doesn't ever take away the pain, but it, it does give it is the joy that comes from the Lord through our pain and through our suffering.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate you saying that. And the response has been overwhelming. Um, church youth groups and children's ministries uh, have sent letters and cards from all around the country. I still to this day don't know how they found out about it or heard about it, but uh, the, the Church of Jesus Christ, not just our church, Full but uh, the church here in South Florida and the church all around the country have been overwhelming in their support of our family through this time.
0: Yeah. So. A lot of our families that are adopting bring home children that they they have an idea that some of these children are are medically fragile in a place where they, they may pass away within several years within several months and they go forward with the adoption some families are bringing home children that because of medical records internationally they may think these children have you know correctable special needs just to find out that they do have a terminal need so i know that you and jen had no preparation but if you could give words of wisdoms to families who are stepping into situations where they know they're going to lose a child, uh, what what encouragement and what uh, what advice would you give them?
1: No that's a great question. I think one thing we have to always remember whether a um, whether we as parents outlive our children or not is that we are, owners of nothing but stewards of everything. And so as parents, whether we are, uh, the biological parents of children or the adoptive parents or foster parents, we are, we are simply stewards. Um, and I, I always knew that theologically and biblically. I, I knew that, um, in my mind, uh, but never did I, was I reminded of that in my heart, uh, than losing our daughter, uh, a year and a half ago that, that God gave us Lily. Uh, Lily belongs to God. um, And we were privileged with three years of stewarding her life. Um, And then God took her away, but we're stewards um, just as God can take away our life and our health and our home and our fortunes and our treasure. um, God gives and he takes it away, and uh, we know that, um, but it's it's the hard, hard work of believing that, uh, that even when it comes to our children, um, that we don't own them. They do not belong to us. They belong to God, and he gives us them for a period of time that we don't know. Um, for us, it was three years. Um, for some, it's you know, we outlive our children, uh, but, but we don't know. But what we are called to is not to hold on to anything too tightly, but to realize what we have been given and entrusted with. I think the real question is whether you have that child for a month or for five years or whatever the time is, what are you doing um, with this gift and this treasure that God has entrusted to you Um I think that's the that, that that really is the should be the mission and the focus of of every parent, regardless of what the relationship looks like. But I, certainly, in in the case that you're mentioning, um, it, it's a call it's a call to stewardship. Mm-hmm. It's not a call to ownership, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a call to stewardship, and that, that's certainly what has helped us, kind of at least, put this in perspective and to help frame our grief and our suffering.
0: And, and like you and Jen and with, with many other families, you know, you lose a child and that's so tragic. And there's so much grief that, that, like you said, it's unexpressible and that hits every day, every moment. But then you have to keep walking, not just for yourselves, but in your case, for your other children. So talk a little bit or give some advice on how, how can we help our children process that grief? And, and how did you and Jen keep walking uh, even when it felt like you couldn't on behalf of your other children who God had given you to steward?
1: Well, as I said earlier, we, I, we really do underestimate what our children have the capacity to comprehend and other, understand. Um, uh, you know, I, I think of uh, a, a book that was written uh, several years ago called shepherding a child's heart. And uh, just that there, there really is no uh, such thing as uh, a, a being too early of an age to begin to shepherd uh, the mind and the heart uh, of a child. And so all of a sudden here we're thrown into conversations and uh, framework trying to frame for them an understanding of death and dying and and suffering and loss and um but they were they were ready for it they wanted it and i so i, I think the the counsel that i would give to parents that are dealing with this um don't run from it don't but either, either you will shape your child's understanding of death and dying and grief, or the world will mm. and um so don't run from these conversations. Don't run from the, uh, the, the, the rawness and the hurt and the grief. Um, uh, you know, we, 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 we need our children to see parents that are crying and suffering and grieving. But in the midst of that, have a hope. Yeah. um that comes from outside of this world. Uh, that is that's the only way if they if they if they see um, if they see us ignoring our grief or suppressing our grief, that is how they their minds and their hearts will be shaped forever. Yeah. Um, you know one of my good friends George Barna, who started the, the Barna uh, research group, um, speaks of in all of his worldview studies and research, um, that a, a child's worldview is being developed at 18 months of age. Um, their their moral compass and their worldview, in many ways, is is fully formed by age nine through 11. Um, unfortunately, often as parents, we start having these deep conversations. Uh, when they're in late middle school year or in high school, and, and really all the research is showing that it's it's really too late. I mean, if, it, if this is starting when they're in the nursery um, and it's really fully formed by the time they get out al- of elementary school, really now is, is the time we need to, for, for parents that have younger children, um, now's the, the time that we need to have these Deep conversations, and as I said before, either we will shape our children's mind as far as grief and suffering and dying and hope, or or the world will. And so we we as a family don't. I mean, obviously we were forced into it and pushed into it, uh, but we we do not uh, ignore it, avoid it. Um, we talk very openly and candidly about all four of us, um, kind of the, the the emotions and the. And, and what we're experiencing on a, on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, and and I love what you said there too, because I think so many times parents today do get that whole thing backwards. And, and Christian parents as well, uh, they wanna be their child's friend when they're in elementary school, and then they wanna mm-hmm. start parenting when they're a teenager. And uh, you gotta parent from the very beginning uh, the so very that beginning. you can be a counselor when they're a teenager and you're navigating them through what you've already taught them. And and that's, that's the same with grief as well, is to prepare them for those things. And, and, and kids are so resilient. Uh, we really don't give them enough credit for how resilient that they are and how the, even those tough things will shape the way they see God in the future and the way they come to understand His love and His compassion and the gospel. Uh, talk a little bit as well, because I know that unfortunately when tragedy strikes, it also doesn't just affect the children, but it affects the couple um, talk about the importance of relationship with a husband and a wife as families are preparing for the difficult that, that may be foster care, adoption, or a calling that the Lord has put on their life. Why is it so important that a husband and a wife be centered together when when tragedy hits?
1: Yeah, um, unfortunately the uh, the statistics are quite sobering. I think it's around 85% of couples that lose a child, uh, those marriages, and in divorce. <laughs> and i'll I'll never forget um, the the night Lily died. I remember my wife, Jen, and just there was the uh, a moment that she just was so overwhelmed by um, the goodness and the grace of God in the midst of tragedy. she just looked at me and grabbed me and said, "We will not be that eighty five percent." And um, that that's kind of just been our our motto and the thing we've just said, no, we refuse mm. to allow. Elect- all this to, to separate us so if I think from day one it's been on our mind of the, how vulnerable we are so I think that's part of it being honest about your vulnerability like anything yeah. uh, but I think in this situation just recognizing constantly communicating with one another and with good counselors of how vulnerable you are and I think the area that we've seen uh, the most vulnerability is the idea of grieving at each other instead of grieving with each other or together. And um, one of my mentors and pastors from afar, Scotty Smith, uh, has really been the one that helped shepherd us through that and constantly asking us, you know, are are you finding yourselves grieving at each other or just or, or grieving with one another? And it's mm-hmm. so that's a big difference because you can you can see, you know, there's there are times where Jen will be grieving and she will be wondering, why am I not grieving now? And it's it's relying on the grace of God mm-hmm. in that moment to not grieve at me, but for her to realize she's going through something that I'm not going through. But on the On the flip side, I need to be sensitive in those moments and have the grace and the compassion and empathy to sit down with her and cry with her and weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn, even if it's something that's not cutting me to the core in that moment. So it really is this giving and taking of sacrificial selfless love. Um, and learning what does that look like as a couple as a family to um, to, to grieve together and not at each other um, but constantly being aware of your vulnerabilities as individuals and as a and as a couple and uh, constantly talking, constantly seeking counsel one of the things I've adopted um, in in my life in the midst of this tragedy is the day I, tell myself i don't need counseling i i pick up the phone and i call my counselor because <laughs> that's i'm in a dangerous vulnerable spot in that point when i've convinced myself because no somebody that has gone through the grief i've gone through and the tragedy i've gone through absolutely does need mm. godly count we all we all need godly counsel um and so um, to be ever present in our life, so I I always check my own soul and my own heart, and as soon as I feel like I'm beyond the council, I know that's where I'm 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 playing with fire and I'm in a very dangerous spot, um, and that's why I just immediately pick up one pick up the phone, call one of my counselors, and say I don't feel like I need you, but I know I know my soul does, mm-hmm. and so it's just been be, being very uh, I think a being very aware of your own brokenness, being very aware of your own vulnerabilities individually as in a couple has, has been tremendous for us.
0: And talk lastly, just about the church as a whole, both congregationally, but also individually the body of Christ. What are practical ways that both individuals of the body of Christ as well as corporately the body of Christ can effectively care for those that are grieving? I know a lot of times you know, people are at loss. What do we do for someone who's grieving? But as a family who's gone through and is going through such terrible grief and loss, what are practical ways that both individuals as well as the church have really ministered to you guys and been the hands and the feet of Christ? I
1: think the people that have ministered to us the most have not assumed we have gotten over this or we'll ever get over this. Mm I think that the people that have loved us best have loved us in such a way that has just given us a freedom and taken the pressure off to get over anything, um, you know, the, because the reality is you lose your right arm, you never get back to normal. Now, there's a new normal that you grow accustomed to living without a right arm, uh, but there's there's never a normal, you know, there's nothing normal about and uh, you know that this was not god's original plan Mm. so certainly a three-year-old girl there's nothing normal uh, about that and so i think those that have loved us the best have been those that have taken the pressure off and not asked the question have things gotten back to normal and Mm. little things like that you know them and people and i and and we've understood this through this process that A lot of times people just don't know what to say, and we give them the grace for that in those moments where maybe out of nervousness or just at a loss for words, they actually end up saying something that can be potentially hurtful or insensitive. Uh, But I think for people listening, just ministering to people that are hurting, just uh, sometimes saying nothing is is sometimes just saying the best thing. Uh, we, We know you're there. We know you're for us. Um, I think just being physically present. I mean, it was, as, as they said, you know, Job had the greatest friends until they opened their mouth. Um, you know, I mean, I think there is a spiritual discipline of loving people well and just closing your mouth and just being there for them, being present and not feeling obligated to sometimes say anything. And so if you, if you feel like you don't have the right words or don't know exactly, it is confusing. It is hard. Um, and, and no words will make it better. No words will help put, um, will make this right. It's, right. it's the hope that we cling to in future resurrection, uh, that will make this right again. Um, so I think friends that were there present didn't feel obligated to say much, um, but other than just serving us and serving our family, I think practical ways. And just, uh, I, I think at the same time, um, just remembering that this is something that we will deal with as a family. till we're reunited together in heaven one day and just, just being aware of that. I think just situational emotional awareness um, that when you see Rob up in the pulpit on Sunday or you see his family afterwards, just realize that they are a broken grieving family and they might not be sitting there wallowing in tears uh, but realize that um, every holiday, every birthday, every the the little reminders of Lily throughout the week still can send you know major triggers mm-hmm. um, into our lives. And so I think just being being aware of that, uh, that we have not moved on, mm-hmm. and I think that's um, just, I think important for people uh, to realize.
0: Yeah, and brother, we we thank you for the richness of the gospel that is your foundation, even through the heartache and the pain that, as you said, will will last until you're reunified. And it does remind us of the gospel. This is not the way God created it. Uh, But sin broke and marred this world. Uh, No parent should have to bear the weight of what you're bearing. But we do have the future hope from the gospel that God will make all things right again. And Lily will be back in your family and y'all will be whole. Um, and we cling to that hope even through the midst of tragedy. And so hopefully other families can cling to the uh, good hope of the gospel, which tells us that God will come back to make all things right. Uh, and Amen. we need his gospel because we have been broken uh, ultimately by our own sin and by our own frailty. And we need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ each and every day, one for our salvation, but two, to make it just through another day. Well, Rob, I'm so grateful for you and for Jen and for your family. Know that we are praying for you, and I'm so thankful for you speaking these words of truth and, and the vulnerability of being able to help other families that are grieving.
1: Oh, it was a pleasure. God bless you, Herbie, and your ministry.
0: God bless.